0: everybody. We are live and welcome to episode number one of Sales Team Rescue. I am your host, Jeremy Demerchant, and it is a pleasure to be here. Thank you for checking this out. And I am pleased and excited to introduce my guest today. I'm going to say the man, the myth, the legend, Mitch Russo. And (laughs) Mitch, I want to just tell the, the audience a little bit about you first, because I kind of think you're one of the best kept secrets in the business space. Um, so Mitch co-founded Time Slips Corporation, and there's a whole story behind that. I'm not going to tell you the whole story because I'm going to tell you where you can read a book about it. But he also pioneered virtual organizations with Chet Holmes and Tony Robbins, co-creating breakthrough or Business Breakthroughs Internationals with nearly 300 people and about 25 million in sales. And then in 2013, Mitch wrote the bestseller, The Invisible Organization, which is one of my personal favorites. And we're going to tell you a little bit later about his newest book, but you got to stick around to hear about it. So that is Mitch Russo all wrapped up. Mitch, welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much for being here.
1: My pleasure, Jeremy. Great to be here.
0: I'm super excited. Now, Mitch, you and I met in a very interesting place. We met uh, in Las Vegas. Yep. Um, purely for business purposes, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you uh, you started off one of the breaks and said, hey, guys, who would like to go shooting and the uh, <laughs> shooting range? and yeah. being, being Canadian shooting's not something I've done a lot of and I was very intrigued. Uh so this you know this is kind of how my introduction to Mitch Russo started and let me tell you Mitch is a great shot just saying. Uh but it was just really cool to hang out and connect with somebody at that level. So Mitch, um tell me a little bit about you and really I want to talk on the angle of the virtual organization and virtual sales teams. Tell me a little bit about that experience.
1: Well, yeah, so the, the real, when I first built Timeslips Corporation, there was no internet, so there was no virtual anything. Um, what, we, what we did when we built the Business Breakthroughs organization is uh, Chet and I uh, made a decision to basically build a completely virtual company. And what that meant was that there are no assets. So what I mean by assets is physical assets. So there's no buildings, there's no parking lots, there's no copy machines, there's no expenses whatsoever uh, other than what we spent on marketing and advertising. And even the people that we employed, for the most part, were paid on a performance basis. So there was very little overhead. So if we had a bad month, our overhead wasn't very, very big at all. If we had a great month, we were paying out a ton of money, but we loved doing it. Why? Simply because we were making a ton of money. Why not? So it was really, when I when I first got going with, with Chet and when we first started, I think the business was maybe two or $3 million a year. Um, and then me with my background in software, and systems, I saw what Chet was doing and I said, wow, we could really, really improve this a lot. And we could automate a lot of these functions and we could add a lot of value to our clients as well by doing that. So I went about a painstaking process, working with a third party, um, trying first to fix the systems that we had, which were mostly unfixable and badly done. Uh, later, what we did is we developed an entire new platform platform just for the company and uh, um, that platform fully embraced the virtual business model. So by the time uh, the company was at its peak, we were about 330 people nearing 30 million in revenue and we were receiving 3000 phone calls a week. Wow. And the thing is, is that we were spending A lot of money to get those phone calls. We were spending a lot on radio ads. And Tony and Chet and I were very focused on getting every value, every dollar we could from every ad dollar we spent. And what that meant was nothing went uh, undone. We, We explored every aspect of every lead. So we had built into the CRM a tool that would tell us if a salesperson did not make at least six closing calls, preferably 12. So we were of the belief that uh, the majority of sales come way after the first phone call, and it's only after building a rapport with the individual and changing uh, the, the understanding of who that person was and what their problems were that allowed us to truly close them. So we wanted to encourage our sales reps, even though they were being bombarded with incoming calls, not to forget the ones that called yesterday and the day before. And we used systems to do that. So the way we looked at our world was that we would be able to hire any salesperson in the entire world as long as they qualified for our processes and we can train them virtually as well. So we have virtual training in place. We had virtual call center in place to route calls to individuals wherever they may live. Uh, we also had monitoring systems that made sure that we were people were taking calls. We also knew whether they were closing or not closing fairly immediately. We knew it after every call. We could literally use the dashboard and see how well they were doing. You know, the old days, I had a call center, had two call centers, one for time slips and then one for Sage. And the whole idea was you get up out of your chair and you walk around. Um, I think that was called MBWA, management by walking around. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I didn't coin that term, but that's what I learned from Tom Peters. And um, so I was good at walking around. But let me tell you, online is far better, far better tools to manage people when you're using online systems like virtual call centers as well. So we had this incredible system in place We could feed as many phone calls into the system as we could. It was to our advantage to spread those calls out. I think at one point we had about 60 people on the phones. And, um, you know, the problem is, is that when Tony Robbins gets on the radio, people notice and they pick up the phone and they call. Well, if we had 100 people calling, 40 would go into voicemail. And the thing with voicemail is the clock is running the second they hang up. So you got to follow up on that voicemail within minutes, or else theoretically, the lead is dead. And we even if we followed up within seconds, we still never ever connected with everybody who called and left the message. So it was management actually turned out to be the most critical element of running a, a very, very well-run company.
0: I like that. I, I think that's that's something that um, people don't understand when they're starting to build their first sales team. I talked to a lot of people. Who say I want to hire a sales rep, and they think there's you know people that go out and say they'll close for ten percent. So they think, mm-hmm. oh, we'll just get somebody in. They'll go do a great job. They're going to make me a pile of money. They get ten percent. I get ninety percent. Life is good. Mm. And they forget about the management part, right? And uh, that this is, I think, a key piece. But you you made a point where you talked about having to be able to handle the volume that you get to. When someone's trying to scale, how do you recommend? they make those shifts. And if we use the call center from the radio ad as an example, because I think it's still relevant today, despite all the other options we have for, for advertising. Um, Where's, where's that point to start? Like, do you start with one and build as you go, or is there some formula or way that you want to say, this is how to calculate the number you need, whether it's reps or capacity or, or what that number is?
1: well, I, I start with the assumption, and, and and again, this is just the way I think of things. I start with the assumption that anything I'm going to do is going to blow up and get big. And if that's going to happen, then why start with crappy, small, cheap systems? Why not just build the right system first? Um I struggled for years with a crappy, cheap system because we did not start out with the right one. And now it, when i when I was building my software company, uh, the the first expenditure of any substance was a order management system. In fact, we bought the same order management system that, remember the Sharper Image Catalog? It's, I think they're out of business. Do you remember them?
0: Yeah, even, vaguely, yeah.
1: Yeah. So we basically bought the same software that they did for Cadillac, catalog product management, and we applied it to our business, and it was fantastic. But it was $22,000, and we were a startup. You say, well, how do you justify that? Well, the bottom line is if you're planning to grow a big company, then you get the right systems. So to to answer your question is, I mean, I'm not talking proof of concept here. I mean, you you have an offer. You don't know whether it's going to sell or not. Then that's just you and maybe one of the guy. But once you know that you have an offer and you know how to close and you're ready to start scaling, build your systems first, then scale.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So, so proof of concept, get that out there, prove you've got people willing to put the credit card down on the table to invest in what you're selling. And then once you have the yeses, start thinking, how do I, pro- how do I build the process around this now? So when it does blow up, it blows up in the good way. It's not the bad ways. Right. Awesome. Awesome. Perfect. So what other challenges do you find that people run into when they're scaling this virtual business model? Um, I mean, in 2019, it is the way business exists yep. for a lot of the business world. But there's still challenges, especially where people are, are new to the space. What are the most common challenges you see when people are trying to scale in a virtual organization?
1: Well, um, mindset. The mindset of the CEO is critical to the operation of a virtual enterprise. Most people, particularly older folks who have not, who've been in business already before, uh, and who've managed people live or in their office, forget that when somebody is not in your room, on, in your space, that they need to be over communicated to. So the mindset of the CEO has to be number one, over communicate, communicate everything. Number two, build deeper, stronger relationships with people than you would normally think you might need if they were live and in your office. Uh, don't forget you're seeing them every day if they're in your office, but if you're if they're not, then then pick up the phone, dial up, and check in with people regularly. And so you might say, well, Mitch, I have three, four hundred people. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't mean you have to call every one of them every day. What it means is that they got to hear from you. And a, the bigger the organization, when a single person hears from you one on one, they just that you just want to find out how they're doing, it means a lot to them. And it basically begins to build what I would call a a very predictable culture by doing it this way. And we could talk about culture as well in a virtual environment, but the bottom line is you must communicate everything all the time and you must do so regularly and you must do so in short bursts instead of long, long diatribes and stories and all that. Just talk to people. Tell them what you need them to hear. Find out about them. If you're you know, good with names, you know, memorize their names. If you're not, have a way to remember everybody's name and basically what they're about. Because you know, it makes a big difference when you check in with somebody on your team and, and say, hey, Mary, how's, that, uh, how's your, um, you know, your side hustle going? And, uh, and that's another thing. Think about the fact that everybody in the world is looking for a side hustle and they're looking to do things other than work for you. Right. Uh, don't, don't just make believe that that doesn't exist. Offer to help people with that stuff. Even run a little clinic and says, you know, on Friday nights at 5 o'clock, we're going to do a little start your own business kind of a uh, uh, an hour. Just that everybody who's interested in one day starting their own business, just like I did, just like Bob here did, uh, let's talk about how to do it. Let's see if we can help you.
0: I love that. Like that's you're taking that idea of uh, is it Apple or Google that that innovation time to build your own thing outside the box, but you're letting it be completely theirs. Not just making it an internal entrepreneurial thing, but actually saying, "How do we build that business if that's what you want?" I love that. I find that far too many companies are such in a they're in such a state of scarcity. Mm-hmm. And you know that that quote that uh, that people often reference. It's you know, what if we pay for their development and they leave? And normally that's the CFO in that particular thing. And the, the CEO says, what if we don't? And they stay. Right. So Mitch, you've, I'm super pumped to have you on <laughs> there. There's so many questions that came from what you just shared. And I think the, the biggest one is how do you help somebody shift from that mindset of scarcity into that mindset of abundance? Have you, do you have a formula or just a strategy or things that you
1: just have seen work? Well, you know, I, I work with CEOs one-on-one and that's where that work needs to be. So first of all, um, the, the feeling of scarcity, uh, basically is based it's fear. So scarcity equals fear. So if you understand what someone's afraid of and help them rationalize that sooner or later, they're going to realize there's really nothing they could be afraid of. And furthermore, Uh, It's better to bring this out into the open and talk about it so that people can understand what it looks like. I mean, I was really afraid of only one thing all the time when I was building Time Slips Corporation. I was afraid that a competitor that was better uh, funded than me would come along and steal my idea. And we, in our business plan, our initial two-page business plan – We had allocated six months of having the market to ourselves before someone came along and tried to duplicate the processes that we employed. Do you know that in the nine years I was in business, seven of those nine years, no one came close to doing anything even remotely like what we were doing? But that fear is what kept us sharp. It It kept us focused on our competitors, make sure we're one step ahead make sure our prices and our services are always really what the market wanted. And, and, but but in terms of scarcity, scarcity is a myth. We live in an abundant universe that if you notice that the more and more people exist, uh, G- GDP grows every single month, just about. Uh, somehow we manage to have all the oil we need to run all the cars in the world and all the power stations in the world. And as, uh, as I've heard, there's nobody trucking in resources from other planets. It's all right here. So they're really, in the bigger sense, no such thing when it comes to scarcity.
0: Love it. Love it. We're going to do a little uh, plug here for the website, mitcharuso.com. And actually, on the website, you've got, what, over 50 business building articles on your blog. Is that right?
1: Absolutely.
0: So, you, so guys, Mitch has a wealth of knowledge in his head. There's no way I'll be able to get even a fraction of it out in this interview. Um, so go to his website, MitchRusso.com, check out the blog. This guy's content is golden. Um, as we mentioned, he's gonna you know, run a company with Tony Robbins, and I reference that because you're more likely to know the name. Um, Chet Holmes, phenomenal man as well. And, uh, you know, the legacy that you're, that you're sharing, I feel like, I mean, we haven't really talked about Chet yet, but, the the processes that, that you guys developed and the results you developed together, um, you know, you're carrying this legacy on it as well, whether it's formally or informally. And uh, is there anything you want to say about about that time and um, and what that looks like in well, you now?
1: Go ahead. Sure. I'll, I'll make one comment briefly. Imagine <clears throat> if you had Tony Robbins and Chet Holmes as your business coach for five years. <laughs> that's what my life was like. I mean, I had both of these guys at my disposal every single day and they treated me as an equal. I mean, I had my whole set of experience and Chet had his and it was different, which was great because we complimented each other a lot. Uh, Tony of course had his and, and I mean, you know, the wealth of, of skill that Tony brings to any conversation or any situation is, is immeasurable. It's incredible. So I was so blessed and lucky to have these guys in my world for the time that I did. Now, many people don't know that Chet and I were were best of friends. And we had been friends for over 20 years by the time I came aboard as Chet's uh, CEO and president. Uh, So for me, it was a dream come true to actually get a chance to work with one of my best friends and help him grow his business. So we started that way. And then... Six, seven months into that, Chet says, look, I, gotta, uh, I need your help with a conversation. I've been trying to get Tony Robbins to talk to me about working together for 17 years. So Chet had this thing called pig-headed discipline of where he would never give up something he wanted until he got it. And one of the things he wanted was to have a relationship and a business with Tony Robbins. Well, he did it. And he brought me in, and Tony, Chad, and I would meet Thursday nights uh, at 10 p.m. Eastern time, and we'd be on the phone sometimes for three hours, uh, discussing the possibility of what these two companies together would look like. And uh, we had a great time.
0: That's amazing. That's, yeah, I, I get I get chills listening to you tell that story. It's, you know, surrounded not only just because of the the amazing knowledge and experience that would have been on those calls in the room, but also the idea of being able to help your best friend. Out. Yeah. Like that's, that's, you know, that's huge. I mean, we can talk numbers and dollars and that's great, but for, for me and I, I, you know, for you, I, I get the same feeling that business isn't just about the dollars and cents. It's about the connections, it's about the relationships, it's about the impact. Exactly. And, and being able to help someone you've called a friend for a long, long time. It's just an experience that I, I can't imagine, you know, it's just an opportunity the business creates. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, well, thank you for sharing that story. I, I appreciate it. I know the audience does as well, um, Mitch. So I, I want to respect your time, but and there's, I feel like I could do like five more interviews with you and we just might just, you know? <laughs> um, but you've got something new going on that I want to make sure the audience knows about. You've got, you've got a new book. Tell us about that.
1: Well, sure. Let me give you some background first. So, Um, When I was building my software company, uh, we accidentally discovered (laughs) that we can get some of our existing clients, particularly the ones that were very skilled in our software, to help some of our new clients come up to speed. And it was one particular incident where a very important person, a woman who happened to be on the, the Los Angeles Bar Association, she was the legal technology uh, partner. And um, she bought our software, probably at a local egghead d- discount software store. And uh, she called up uh, upset that our software had crashed her computer. Now, we know our software has been the hands of hundreds of 1000s of people, we know it didn't crash your computer. But nonetheless, this is an important person. So I was about to fly out there or have somebody fly out there and try and help her. When I had the idea that, you know, maybe one of my local clients can go into her shop and help her there too. Well, I, I actually acted on that and I called a few people, one in particular, a woman named Anne, And I called Ann, I said, Would Ann, I have a favor to ask and of course I'll pay you for it. Would you mind going over and helping this woman get up to speed? She goes, oh Mitch, and she was really like happy to hear from me and we had not really spoken before. And she said, of course for you, I'd be thrilled. So I send her over there, I described what the problem was and. Four hours later, she calls me back and says, oh, we no problem at all. We got her software reinstalled. Everything's working. She's happy. And now the words that changed my life. She said, oh, and guess what? And I said, what? She says, she gave me a $100 bill for her help. And I said, well, Ann, that's fantastic. And here they come. Here's the words. And she said, if you know anybody else who needs my help, you just let me know. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I said, well, why can't I have more than one and? Why can't I have 100 ands, 300 ands in the world? And I then at that point decided that I was going to create something that eventually would be called certification. So we built a test around the software, made it really hard, hoping that 90 percent of the people taking the test would fail. The 10 percent that passed would be. Quote unquote, qualified. And first time out, we just sold the test for 500 bucks or a thousand bucks or whatever it was. And uh, a couple of people, maybe 40, 30, 40 people qualified. And we sent them out to help clients. And at first, you know, we didn't know what was going on. We didn't think it was a problem. We found out later that those people were embarrassing the company. Some of them showed up dressed inappropriately. Some of them smelled You know, some of them had no manners whatsoever. Some of them didn't even know how to conduct business. So we were getting complaints now very regularly until finally we were threatened with a lawsuit. And so the first thing I did was I shut the program down and I interviewed all the people that we had sent these 30 or 40 people to visit. And I discovered that it was worse than I thought. And so I had to go in and interview every single one and find out really what happened. I then took about um, six months and I recast the program to fix all the problems that came up, which turned the training from here's all about the software to here's about how to be a consultant. Here's how to show up. Here's how to dress. Make sure you bathe before you go. Make sure you don't say these things or talk about this, when you're at a client site, make sure to show up on time because you think these are natural things people would know, but they're not.
0: <laughs> common sense isn't so common. <laughs>
1: so, once we did that, once we rebuilt the program and we reintroduced it to our top clients, we ended up in eighteen months growing that to three hundred and fifty certified consultants. Adding those three hundred and fifty certified consultants because of that three hundred and fifty certified consultants. We ended up boosting sales significantly of our products because they sold our products for us, number one. Number two, it reduced our support support costs because instead of calling in, they would now work with their certified consultants. And number three, and this is the part that, you know, again, we had just no idea how much money it was going to generate. We generated over a million in cash just from certification alone. And that was in 19... Sorry to date myself here, but it was like 1990, 1991, 1992. And and so this became, to me, one of the greatest things I'd ever done for the company. And after I sold the company, I more or less, you know, thought of it as a relic of the past until about three years ago. um, Josh Turner, I don't know if you know who Josh is, uh, runs a fantastic company called Link Selling, uh, asked me about certification and said, "Would you?" help me build my own. And I said, absolutely, I would. And in the process of helping Josh, I, I updated all of my tools for the internet and all of my tools for the way we do stuff. And I then started offering it to clients. And one by one, I would get a client, we'd build their program, they would deploy it, it would work out really well. I learned a lot. And that's why I wrote the book, Power Tribes. Because in the end, certification by itself is not enough. What you need is you need to be able to create a tribe, a loyal, passionate tribe of people who are dedicated and thrilled to work with you, your processes, and your customers.
0: I love it. I love it. And I
1: think the certification
0: program concept is so powerful because it takes something that I love is creating a natural sales force. But two, and this is a part I didn't really think about until I, I read um, the, the first book, Invis- The Invisible Organization, because um, you, you speak to it. But again, in Power tribes, where you create your own support team. So it's not just sales. It's support as well. And uh, I've experienced this with different companies that I'm you know an affiliate for and things like that. But most of them don't have a formal certification. Mm-hmm. They say, here's the stuff. Here's the, the Dropbox folder full of resources. Go get them and uh, it's unfortunate because you're like you said you're gonna have people out there that are you know not properly representing the company, and so the ones that do have certification programs it's just a whole lot more powerful to for that impact and I think the book itself power tribes and guys it's power tribes books dot book dot com sorry power tribes, book dot com you see it on the bottom of the video there um, and you'll see it in the show notes or in after I think that being able to create this program, the certification program, is just such a win-win for for all sides. And I know even now in the coaching space, there's a lot of talk around what certifications do you have, right? And uh, you know, some people say certifications are really, really important. Some other people have different views on them. And I think ultimately, it's just a, a, a you know seal of approval that what you're representing, you've you've validated your knowledge on that.
1: Well, there's a little bit more to it than that because most coach certification is something that people buy once and then they get a certificate that they can hang on their wall uh, and very little support from the company. What a power tribe is, is it's a, it's basically a cooperative relationship between the certified partner and the company. And remember, most people who become certified are typically coaches or consultants or software people, but they're not salesmen. And what what we try to stress in our programs is that if you can't help your certified partners make money, then they're not going to renew the following year. And if they don't renew, then your program's a failure. So the only way people renew is if they made 3x to 10x what they paid for certification. So if you're charging $20,000 for certification, which is fairly common, then if they can't make sixty dollars to $300,000 through you in your program, then there's not going to be enough value for them to come back and want to do it again and again. Whereas what we do, we work with clients individually is we help set up all of those systems for lead gem for your certification team as well.
0: I love it. I love it. That's, that's fantastic. Awesome. So guys, again, you can get Mitch's new book and this came out, was it October, November,
1: November. Yeah. November.
0: Awesome. So power book.com guys, go check it out. Um, as I mentioned, Mitch has a phenomenal mind and any opportunity to tap into it is a a huge opportunity and a huge lost opportunity if you don't take it. So go to powertribesbook.com. Want to make sure I say it right. (laughs) Um, Also, Mitch, you have a podcast. I do. Tell us about this.
1: Well, you know, it's funny because if you're ever thinking about creating a podcast and Jeremy, I know you know this. um, Most people think that they're going to build or start a podcast based on what they like to talk about or what they like to do. And that's fine. My viewpoint was, why not start a podcast that directly supports your company? And for me, when I offer to work with somebody on a Power Tribe contract, my contracts are very expensive. And if you don't have at least a thousand clients, then we can't really work together because you don't have enough clients to we are a small percentage of them would want to get certified the first time through. So my challenge was to find companies that had at least a thousand clients. So I said, well, what's a better way to attract CEOs of companies than to feature them on a show and showcase their success. So I created a show called your first thousand clients.com, which serves our listeners by profiling really successful entrepreneurs and creates lead flow for my little company building certification programs. So it turned out to be a super win-win for everybody.
0: You know, and, and I like the the transparency there. Um, I know you, uh, or I was, I put together a little outline of you know my objective for the show, and uh, this is where we we think alike. I said, you know, for my audience, I want this. For my guests, I want this. And for me, I want this. right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think the transparency is super vital because then it's it's more uh, – well, you connect. You're, you're real, and it doesn't feel like there's smoke and mirrors. And we've got a question here. Um, how – oh, we got two questions. Hold on. I'm going to put this up on the screen real quick. How much of this book applies to Sharp Spring CRM automation? Okay. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with Sharp Spring specifically, but it is a CRM. Um, how much – So. Would power tribes be a book that's going to talk about crm pieces or is that going to be more the virtual organization
1: um it would be more the it would be more the invisible organization book yeah. and just to be clear I don't know what sharp spring means um, if that's a brand I've never it's, heard yes, of sierra yeah okay so that's that's the first thing second thing is is that neither book truly focuses on crm automation although we include and talk a lot about crm and using crms as a backend for our certified consultants, mm. we also, in our private program, we provide all the templates so that people can create the the backend lead flow system for certified consultants using the type of CRM that we specify. So it's, CRM has to have certain qualifications to work with a live Salesforce. Like InfusionSoft is not really designed to work with a live Salesforce, making phone calls or taking phone calls, whereas Zoho for example is right and so we choose CRM based on the functionality that our clients need
0: awesome I love that the the next question is super relevant and I know the answer to it but I'll let you is how does certification work with enterprise you know, with enterprise software
1: well since I first built certification for software it works fantastic second thing is that let's whatever that enterprise software is Just ask yourself: Would I like to have an extra 300 salespeople on the street who pay me for the privilege of selling my products? And if you say yes to that question, then that means yes to certification.
0: Love it! Yeah, exactly. I think I think that's a huge opportunity. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, enterprise software is one of the most challenging Mm -hmm. because there tends to be such a big learning curve for new users. That's right. When you have built in as a partner um, or as a certified partner, then you've got that built in your to support and everything.
1: One quick perspective on this. Um, we worked with a company that had a team of people that they would deploy to train the, um, the new customer. So, so what was happening in this particular situation is that they would sell the enterprise software with a certain amount of training included, and they'd have their own people who did that. That's fine. But after that, Um, what they were doing is they were charging for um, training and on-site training as well. Well, it turns out that was the least profitable thing that they did. After we talked to them and showed them what certification could do for them, at that point they shifted uh, and did away entirely with sending out their own people and referring them only to certified consultants because we showed them how by splitting the fees with the certified consultants for for any client that they bring on board – they actually could make far more money uh, and have much higher profit margins by using certification and certi- certified partners instead of their own staff. Mm.
0: That's awesome. That's so, and, so, and you're saying uh, you said earlier that you really think that in order for a certification to, to be uh, effective for a company, they really need to have their first thousand clients.
1: Right. And the reason I say that is because it's called the early adopter rule. The idea is that, When you start your certification program, you want to start it with a pilot class and you want to fill your pilot class with with up to, say, 20 people. And the number is a little arbitrary, but you don't want it to be too many because it's a new program. There'll be bugs. You want to debug the program. But at the same time, you want those 20 people to absolutely be successful. So if you have 100 people, it's going to be hard to manage helping 100 people, particularly when there's still bugs in your original certification system. Right. So the idea is, you start with ten or twenty people. If they pay ten or twenty thousand dollars each, you're generating a nice slug of cash, maybe anywhere from two hundred to six hundred thousand. And as a result, what you're doing is you're going to take extra care to make sure all those people get through your program, start working with clients, start making money, and be your source of fantastic testimonials, so you can sell certification to the next class ninety days later.
0: Love it. Love it. Awesome, Mitch. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm going to put that link for the book up one more time. Guys, that is powertribesbook.com. Go check it out, Mitch. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been a blast and I have a feeling we're going to need to do at least one more of these and (laughs) like a dozen. I don't know. (laughs) If if you'll grace us with your presence again, I would would greatly appreciate it. Mitch, once again, thank you so, so much. Mitch Russo, mitchrusso.com. Go check out that blog. Thank you, my friend. I greatly appreciate your time.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Take care. We will uh, call, it, call that that. Have a great day. You too. Thanks guys. Thanks for joining me. Let's keep the conversation going. You can find more episodes and a link to join our online community over at salesteamrescue.com. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe and give the show a review to help us reach more sales leaders like you. If you'd like our support in creating your own high-performance sales team, book a call with us at salesteamrescue.com.